0: good. Would you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2? We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, several uh, several verses there, and then chapter 5 as well. And then we're going to dip into Titus chapter 2 and look at a few verses there and in 1 Peter as we look at a important theme this morning. Last week I spoke on biblical manhood and... I must have hit a nerve because I had a lot of wives say, hey, thank you for that message. <laughs> no, not really. mother who prayed and prayed and prayed and prays for me and brought me the word. I'm thankful for having a wife who prays and prays and prays and brings the word to me and my children. Uh, a message on godly manhood like last Sunday, and a message on godly womanhood, we're going to have a lot of overlaps, but there's to, there's definitely a difference between a man and a woman. I mean, where do you start? I mean, well, I just was reminded that as I was scrolling through my Twitter feed yesterday, looking at sports scores or news articles, and an ESPN, lady ESPN reporter wrote this that maybe illustrates what how sometimes it feels the difference or the difficulty of being a woman over a man she writes me my bedtime remove jewelry put up hair wipe off make wipe wipe off makeup wash face moisturize brush teeth floss gargle contacts or glasses pj's go to the bathroom start load of laundry mouth guard check calendar set alarm plug in phone worry about something dumb Pass out, that's it. Husband, take off clothes, pass out. (laughs) In all seriousness, though there are a lot of differences between men and women, And there are particular commands that are to the men in the Bible, and there are particular commands that are to women in the Bible. Most of the Bible is for all men and all women, their souls, their obedience. And so I had Bonnie say to me, Pastor Daniel, as you were speaking last week to men, I was applying to my life. There's so much yes God-centeredness and our need to be gripped by God's love and courage. And I mean, there's, having to make a few remarks, this message is for men in many ways as well, when, especially as I end this message and talk about the crowning adornment that I want to call you to this morning. Uh, there's, a, there's, a way, there's different ways in which I wanted to title this sermon, but I, here's one of the ways I would entitle it, but it's a long title. How to hope in God as a woman in Christ with a bad husband, or with a great husband, or with no husband, or somewhere in between. I wanna give you a few remarks to introduce this. I wanna read a few scriptures that the Bible gives that are particularly addressed towards women. I want to give four crowning adornments. I want to explain what I mean by that. Found four crowning adornments that I see, especially in these, these passages that I'm going to share with you, that are pertain, they pertain particularly to women. And then one crowning one that I think is foundational to all of them. Here's just a few thoughts. Uh, husbands and fathers, or just men that are here this morning, we have an influence on the women that are in our lives. And we should be sitting here and we should be praying for them. If if you're not married yet, longing to prioritize these for a, a woman that you'll someday marry as you seek to embrace godliness in your own life. And we need, as husbands and fathers, to help love and nurture and care in the most tenderest ways to help our wives grow in these areas and our our daughters. Another thought is that although most women, most, I, I don't want to put a percentage on this, and I don't, most women will be married, and and many will embrace motherhood, biological motherhood, it's not God's will for everyone and every woman. Singleness is also a good and beautiful state that should be viewed as not a lesser state to marriage, but when embraced with a desire to be devoted to Christ or in the circumstances that God just has in His circumstance hasn't brought a husband into your life, this is the state God has for you and it is good. Jesus was never married. The Apostle Paul who writes this letter was not married. And... Though some of my talk or sermon will relate to especially those that are married and have children, there are some in this room that don't have children biologically, but they have been a nurturing and caring aunt giver to others. And that, in God's providence, is such a beautiful and glorious, amazing thing. I thank God for my amazing Aunt Mary, who never got married, is like a mother to me. God knew I needed to. Here's a few more things before we get into the reading. Now, much of what I may say is politically correct heresy. It's considered old-fashioned and out of touch with modern sensibilities, and and by some, or at least some of what I'll say, and by some people, they consider it either sexist or male chauvinistic. And while it may not, while it may truly be not politically correct. It's not old fashioned. It's not merely old fashioned, I should say. And it's not out of touch with the needs of humanity. And it is not sexist. It is not chauvinistic. I intend to say with the Bible has to say, God's holy word has to say, God the creator of man and woman, male and female, made in His image equal in value, but different in their role for the glory of God and for the good of humanity. I also want to say that because we live in a sinful and fallen world, there is so much abuse that takes place in the gender roles of husband and wife, women and men, fathers and mothers, there's so much fallenness and brokenness that it hinders us from sometimes rightly seeing God's good way here. So there are words like submission, authority, modesty, work in the home. They've been used wrongly by cruel and overbearing men or weak, lazy, and abdicating men. So we need to work hard to see through the fog of our sin to see what God really has for us. And while I try not to make blanket statements where the Bible doesn't make them, I... I, like the Bible, will seek to make points with broad strokes that some of you might sit here, and I, I pray that you'll fight the tendency to be defensive with that objection in your mind. You just don't know my situation, Pastor Daniel. I might not know, but God does. He does, and He cares. And talking about what the Scripture says is the norm. And and some of you might feel, but what, what, what happens, Pastor Daniel, when your husband does this? Yes, there's an answer. And what about this? I hope you'll listen with open ears and hearts, asking questions like, what's the principle behind this? What's the heart attitude behind this? Even when this situation in my life is really difficult and it's not the ideal at all, um, and what does God want me to take away so that I can truly obey him because obedience is so good. And and maybe you'll say, "Do I need to take another step further? I'm struggling here to apply this. Do I need to talk to Pastor Daniel or is there someone else in this church that I know that can help me walk through what does it look like applying? And I feel maybe I was offended by this or I was challenged by this and I need help to dig deeper and what does it mean for my life specifically?" Okay. With that said, let's read a few passages of Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 9 through 15. When you read this through, you're going to go, Pastor Daniel, you answer all these questions because I'm struggling with what that means here, here, and here. I, I'm going to try a little bit, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these passages, but they're really important. And I'm going to drop four principles, four adorning things, characteristics for women, 9 through 15. Let's start there. Paul says, just as he after, in verse 8, he said, Men... With holy hands, lift them up and pray without fighting, quarreling, and anger. Likewise, verse, eight, verse 9, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. We're not looking around to see if anybody has pearls this morning or braided hair. I'm going to talk that in a minute. But with what is proper, verse 10, but what is with proper for women who profess godliness with good works? Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. Now, is that real clear? And if you're sitting there going, what does that mean? She shall be saved through childbearing? Okay, let's, let's move on. And I want you to see what else he talks about women. Turn to chapter 5, verse 5. First Timothy 5. Verse 5. He's talking, he's, right now he's saying, we have a widow list in our church. And we support these widows who are in special need. If they already have a family that can take care of them, they're not on that list. We praise God for them, but we don't need to pr- provide for them because they already have somebody taking care of them. And if, if they're just if they're just using the system and they're not godly, they're not on that list. But what we learn from here is the type of women that are godly. Verse 5. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God. I just, we could stop right there. She has set her hope on God. And continues in supplication and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Now turn to verse 9, a few verses later. Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. That actually means she was, she was, she was maritally faithful to the husband that God gave her. Doesn't mean if he died or, or even if there was necessarily a divorce and it wasn't her fault. But good works. This is characteristics of this woman. She's been brought up, she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work. Man, I'm so thankful for the women in here that that describes. But refused to enroll younger widows for then when their passions draw them away from Christ the desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary or the enemy no occasion to slander. Now I'd ask you to turn a couple books forward to Titus chapter 2. Look with me at Titus chapter 2, only a few verses here. Titus 2, verse 3. This is written by the Apostle Paul. And just like Paul wrote to Timothy to lead in a church, he's writing to Titus to lead in the church. And he gives instructions to older women. Verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent landers. Not, or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. They are to be self-controlled and pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God might not be mocked or reviled. Okay, one more passage. Go further in your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3. This is the last text we're going to read. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. By the title you know it's not Paul writing, it's Peter. I guess you wouldn't know that because he says to Timothy, it's Paul writing. But this is Peter writing. 1 Peter is written by Peter to several churches, and this is what he says in chapter 3. Likewise... Wives, be subj- subject to your own husbands. Why? So that even if some do not obey the words, meaning your husbands aren't obeying God, they're not following God at all. Even if so, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. It meaning their hearts will, maybe they'll become a Christian because of your your conduct, not by your preaching at them, When they see your respectful and pure conduct, verse 3, do not let your adorning be external. Here we get to the braiding of hair again. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God, that's how they adorn themselves. Women who hoped in God, they adorn themselves with these things by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything. That is frightening. Oh God, open our eyes to see your word for us today that we may obey and believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I just want to, here's my message for the rest of this time is to challenge, to just like last week I gave eight things in regards to men, I want to give you four adorning things for women. I say the word adorn because we find it in 1 Timothy. To adorn means to actually to make more beautiful. I'm really glad that God made women more beautiful than men, personally. Um, And all men said amen. And, but, but, And and Paul uses this imagery in this language of saying they are to adorn themselves, make them more beautiful, but it's clear that the adorning is not something like qualifying for a modeling agency or a beauty pageant or for a job on Fox News, but for, for something inward and beautiful. Let me... Here's four ways of adornment. In other words, here are characteristics of a godly woman that is beautiful in God's eyes. Not four ways of earning salvation, but ways in which women live out their salvation. Ways in which are, which are impossible without God's help. Our, and I just want to say this, our world so needs the church of Jesus Christ to demonstrate this true beauty beauty that comes from men and women in their own roles that shines forth as a glorious light because God is adorned in beauty and glory and he calls us each in our respective way here's the four things they're on the back these and I just want to I want to bring them to you they're probably things that need to be worked out um, in small groups and in In some of our women's leadership meetings or actually our women's ministries that we have, they've had Titus 2 talks in which they they study and they discuss these certain things. Here are four ways. One, godly women adorn themselves with inner beauty. That's number one. Secondly, godly women adorn themselves with good works. Three, godly women adorn themselves with domestic joy. Now that's, that's a landmine right there. And number four, Godly women adorn themselves with spiritual education. I just want to just quickly tell you what I mean by this. What I see from these passages of Scripture, that someone, a woman that says, I, I want to follow Jesus, He saved me, and, and He's working my life. These priorities are my life. I, I care about them. First of all, I want an inner beauty. It's natural for men and women to want to look good. And it's natural for women to want to look Beautiful it's a, god made us that way it's it's not necessarily a vain or pompous or proud thing necessarily but he made us to want to look beautiful for 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 the right reasons and he wanted us to look that right reason is so that god would look good and others would be built up more than anything rather than for me to look good and for me to get the praise and to get what i just want he says here that they are to adorn themselves with inner beauty. There, there, I put three things here right now, and there could be a lot more. And I, you're going to quickly realize, Pastor Daniel, that's several sermons, and so I don't have time to do that. So forgive me for my brevity on this. But they are to adorn themselves with inner beauty that is with words, with submission, and the last one is with modesty. Words, submission, and modesty. Or I put it in a little different order. Words, modesty, and submission. Words. The Bible speaks many times about women be careful not to be slanderous or biting or gossiping or complaining or grumbling. They're to be with a gentle and quiet spirit. Words that build up and bring life. That is true inner beauty. It is is a beauty that comes from something different inside. And if you realize, if you're going to try to work on your words, you can try for a time to work on it, but unless you get to the heart source, it's not going to last. And I'm going to get there. What's the heart source here? But it's inner beauty, that something's going on in your heart that your trust is in God so that out comes words not of slander or gossip or just talking about other things or complaining or grumbling or discontent, but That which is life-giving. Oh, the life-giving nature of a godly woman is amazing. It comes to other women. It comes to husbands. It comes to children. It comes to their sons and their daughters. It is a source of life. It's an inner beauty that is glorious. Modesty. He says it very clearly. When he's saying this, when you gather, 1 Timothy 2.9... They should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearl or costly attire, but with women, what is proper for women who profess godliness. Now, he is saying that whatever you do, you are to dress your lives, and I would say your out, our outside dress often reveals our inside motivations and in what's going on. And our, our apparel, our dress, should be that he says, modesty, self-control, it is respectable. And when he mentions not braided hair, it really meant braided hair that you put pearls and gold and you weave those things in your hair. What was happening in that time in Ephesus is they would, these rich women would do that to show off everybody, look at me, look at how rich I am, especially in contrast to everybody else in this room who isn't rich. And who doesn't have this? And he's saying, when you dress yourself, think about others. Now what this looks like in modesty, whether it be modesty that is not sexually alluring or show off, look at how, how much status I have or how beautiful I have, however that is, I'm not going to get into those details. That is something that each woman and each family and each parent, we need to take seriously, we need to talk about. But Paul says... Part of an inner beauty is there's a modesty in how you dress that reveals heart motivations, that I love something more. More than my looking good to the world, I want, I want Jesus to look good. I don't think that means, that I know this doesn't mean, women, you should look as plain as possible so God looks good or something. That's not what he says at all. There's something great about, there's something about a, a beauty that is inward, that comes outward, and looking nice, that is not, look at me, I'm showing off. There's a difference, and I think you know that. And then there is another inner beauty that is here in 1 Timothy 2, and it's found when 1 Peter when he says, obey or submit to your husbands. And in Ephesians 5 when he says, submit, submit to your husbands, wives. There is an inner beauty of, I'm going to follow the leader, the husband that God has, these authorities in my life for the Lord's sake, out of reverence for Christ. There is a beauty here. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 14 says, Let women learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Man and women are made, I want to say these things, man and women were made by God in His image. Both are equal in His sight. Both have different roles based on the order He formed them. Husband in the home and elder is only to be a man in the church. This passage does not mean that all women are to submit to all men. No, no, no. It doesn't mean that men are better than women. It doesn't mean that women are called to a blind obedience. It doesn't mean that they're not to give input or feedback. This passage means that men, men are called to serve in the role of teaching elder and overseer. The elders, overseers, pastors are to be men and exercise authority by preaching, primarily preaching and leading this word. But I tell you what, I welcome all of the women's feedback and input to help me shepherd better and insights into God's word. I invite that because I believe that you can bring so much help to us and to me. But what does submission, the inner beauty of submission mean? Boy, it's, it's really hard to define because it's not just blind obedience, but it is a bent towards following, doing your best to trust or at least yield to that, the authority in your life at any way possible. I like what Ted Tripp in his talk on parenting uses submission. He says, Submission is enjoying the strength and honor of serving one's Lord by serving the authority he put in place. Submission is enjoying the strength and honor of serving the Lord Sometimes wives are called to a very hard task because their husbands are not obeying the word of God. They're not following Jesus like they want, uh, and they need to serve God rather than man. They need to obey Jesus over man. But there is a sense in which God help me to show a woman, an inner beauty of a woman, says, "Help me to show by my actions and my words and my attitudes a, a sense in which even though he is not being respectable." I'm going to salute the uniform because that uniform of his his role in my life represents the Lord Jesus Christ who is good, and I trust him. Godly women adorn themselves with inner beauty. Secondly, godly women adorn themselves in good works. I'm so thankful for the good works that's done by the women in this church. They make meals, they care for the sick. They reach out, they write notes, they bring clothes over, they they help and they help and they help. I'm thankful for the good works of moms who care for their little ones, cares for their husbands, care for the needy. They care in ways that men can't care. Men are to care in many, many ways. I'm not saying that, but there's a special way in which he just keeps on saying, women who profess godliness, they clothe themselves in good works. They love it. They love it. He says it in first timothy 2 a first timothy 5 the widows what was marked by these godly widows they have shown hospitality they've washed the feet of the saints they cared for the afflicted i just commend to you women the beauty of serving one another it is beautiful in god's eyes would also be servant leaders showing the way just like jesus showed the way godly women adorn themselves with good works. Thirdly, godly women adorn themselves with domestic joy. Now, what do you mean by that? This is just what I mean by this. Um, I don't think this verse will immediately, like all the lights, click on. 1 Timothy 3.15, Yet she will be saved through childbirth if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. That's a very puzzling passage. But what I believe that the Apostle Paul is writing, he just said, he said, women are to follow and listen to the m- men are to be elders and teachers in the church, in the church, and they are to listen, and they are to listen quietly and not try to take authority over them. But as they, as they do that, you need to realize this is God's created order in Genesis God made male and female in that order, not because one's better than the other, but in order to set an order and a plan that he had that the man would take responsibility in a certain way as authority and she would be his helper in that. There is a type of domestic joy that he calls women to, a godly adorning. Women care about the home. They're, they're a type of women's home-centeredness. Now, does this mean they can't work outside the home? No, it doesn't mean that. That's why I said, some, and some say, I, I can't not work outside the home certain circumstances in my life. I'm not saying that either. But I'm saying that godly men, women, as they grow in Christ, as they adorn themselves with the things that God values, they do love family. That usually comes natural, but there's this deep inner I love it for God's sake. And they adorn themselves by joyfully loving and caring for their... When I say their home, I mean their family. I mean, I, I mean the, the, the prosperity of their family and their well-being and their health. But not just physical health, the spiritual health as they come alongside their husband to help nurture, if you have children, children in the Lord, grandchildren in the Lord, neighbors, and caring for them for the sake of the gospel... It says they, it says here in Titus that they are to. They're the type that, boy, they're teaching others and to, to love in the to working in the home and loving their husbands and loving their children. Now, there's a lot of places you can go there, and and we in our culture in America rebel against this. Yet this is a, a lacking feminine beauty in many places. I'm thankful for so much of it here and I pray that it will continue on and grow and there's an, a joyful way of embracing the home that shows off glory to God and Jesus Christ. And this means you husbands need to talk to your wives. If, you, if, if you're married, you need to talk to your wives and say, how can I help you have greater joy in the home? Is there ways I can free you up to do this? What am I keeping you from financially to, to pursue this? For the glory of God. First Timothy three fifteen is a hard passage. It doesn't mean that women get saved if they have a child. If you have a child, you get saved. That's not what first fifteen means. I think he's pointing to childbirth is the normal and the beautiful way in which women normally, but not always, but normally take part in fulfilling God's purpose as. Ex- as was established in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, but, but it's not enough to just have children. It's to live out your God-given role as a woman. But they need to have faith and hope, love in God. Now, the last thing adorning is godly women adorn themselves with spiritual education. I want you to see in this passage, when we read the 1 Timothy 2 passage it's often read like this. Let women learn, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. You're like, can you believe Paul? He said she needs to be quiet and submissive. And instead, when Paul was writing this in the first century, he's writing this, and I think there's a sense in which when they're reading this letter, they go, let women learn. Really? Yeah, they need to be learners, too. Let women learn quiet. And just like all, even in that Greek culture, the Greek wisdom of being a student is be quiet, listen. Listen from your teacher. You have a lot to learn, so be quiet so you listen and submissively follow your teacher's instruction. Women, learn. And learn quietly with submissive Submission And do you know what? This command is also for all the men in this church. Everyone that's not teaching the Word right now is called to be a listener and submissive, not primarily to me, only insofar as I'm the messenger of God through this book, but we are all to be quiet, submissive listeners to obey God's Word. Men, you, every husband, father, That are called need to be a quiet listener and submissive person to the word of God, obeying and listening. And so do your wives, so do all of us. But I want I want this is the point I wanna say. Godly women, you you just love to go after God's word. You love to learn. I'm so thankful for for Many of the Bible studies, but Lisa and others, it's just they, they lead in the studying of God's word in order to dig deep, in order to apply it into our, their lives. They are, to be ed, they are to educate themselves. They are to learn and they are to, in order to teach others, to teach their children, to teach other women. Titus 2 says, if you need to be mentored, please talk to, to me or to uh, Julie in the church office. We would love to connect women, younger women to older women to be mentored. Molly has a, a book that she's been reading over this last year. It's called Devoted. Great Men and Their Godly Moms. In this book I read this last week, one of history's greatest preacher preachers would say with affection, I'm sure that in my early youth, no teaching ever made such an impression upon my mind as the instruction of my evangelists would say, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than all the theologians in England. And another theologian who made a massive impact for the cause of Christ and Christianity said, to our mother, my brother and myself, under God owe absolutely everything. Another great defender of the faith wrote in an overwhelming moment of doubt then relate how he was delivered. And he said, My mother spoke to me in these dark moments, these dark hours, when the lamp burned dim, when I thought my faith was gone in shipwreck and had been made of my soul. Christ, she used to say, keeps firmer hold on us than we keep on Him. Mothers, they go deep in God's word. They're they're into spiritual education. They want to know God's word so they can teach it to their children. They can teach it to other women. They can teach it to others in the church, especially women in small groups. They care. They minister. And they are used in ways that are just, we can't calculate how amazingly they're used. Now, I want to end with this. But don't, don't view this as just this wrap-up, check out, this is my conclusion. And It is in some ways, and it goes into the table we're going to take in communion right now, in a, in a minute. The crowning adornment for any woman or, or any man is something so vital. I would say the uh, crowning support and authority. So last week I gave men, you ate things. I'm I'd I'd love to give a dollar if any of you could just name two of them. You know, you know. uh, Yes, uh, uh, God-centeredness and good conscience and reject passivity. Those are a few. And here I just gave four. Where do you get this? Is this Pastor Daniel going? You got to do this. You got to do this. And you got to do this. You got to do this. Uh, I guess I want to give to you a, a a sending message. Of, of hope, of challenge, that it is God that is at work in us. And, and I want to do it by saying, here's the crowning adornment that is for, cr- 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 critical for both. Hope in God. You remember the widows? Those who hoped in God, they don't stop praying to God with supplications and prayer. It was Sarah in 1 Peter 3 who, with bad husband Abraham, hoped in God. That's how she adorned herself. Men, hoping in God is what we do, the living God. Hope in God is not how we often use it. If I were to ask some of you, what does it mean to hope in something? You'd say, well, it's kind of like, I hope that that package that I ordered on Amazon will be delivered on time on Tuesday because I sure need it because I'm going on a trip Wednesday morning and I need it. I hope it delivers. Now, when I say that, are you confident that it's going to be delivered? No, there's, there's still a measure of doubt. Now, your doubt or your confidence all relates to the measure of how faithful... Whoever that, that hope is, that deliverance of that is coming from. If if, I were, if my son says to me, I home from Myers because he told me he would do that. That candy I really want. It's so gross, and <laughs> and and he says he says I hope Dad remembers like he promised. Now I say, you know what? I might be a good rememberer. But he still has a shadow of a doubt because it's not certain. He's saying, "I hope, I, like, I'm excited about that, but I'm not sure. That's not Christian hope. Christian hope is almost the exact opposite in a sense, and it is, "I am hoping in God," means that I have a growing confidence and a delight in the person and promises of God in Christ Jesus and pertains to my future. Hope especially pertains to the future. God is going to be good to me. Now, I want you to see this connection. Women, to have an inner beauty that gives you a contentment in the lot that God has given you. And men, for God to give you a contentment in the lot that God has given you. To take on the role that he's given to you in your life. For you to be a leader or to be a follower to the glory of God, to to learn the word of God, to care for the home well, to lead the home well, to do anything you have to do, it is difficult, it takes courage, it takes strength. And it is though you need the all-powerful resources of God who says, I will help you. And I want to call you to hope in God. Hope in God through Jesus Christ. And I say in Jesus Christ because it's not until you and I come to the end of ourselves and we believe and accept what the Bible says about our sin and about God's perfect standard, and again about assurance that He will judge all and that we're assured that He's gonna judge all sin and He's gonna judge our guilt and we're gonna be we're guilty before Him. And I have an incomplete inability to save myself. And more this, when we come to realize that the hope of our forgiveness and eternity is found in one person, it's Jesus Christ, who is fully God, who became man, who lived a perfect life, died on a cross, paid for our sins, He rose from the dead. He is the Savior and He's the Lord for everyone who comes to the end of themselves, surrenders themselves to Him, Hope in this God. If you have never hoped in this God to be saved, bow the knee to him today and receive him and he will save you. But if you have, the rest of your life, hope in God is like a reservoir of a dam. The the type of things you need to do to be a godly, godly wife or a godly man takes energy And imagine there's a reservoir or a man-made lake that was dammed up in order for that water to sit there. And they open up and the water comes through that dam and the turbines turn. I'm not sure exactly how it all works. Creating energy and power. Hope in God is that reservoir of hope in God. That as we need the power of strength of God, we need to hope in God that his future for me, is so good. It's not, it might happen. He's going to do it for us. And in the middle side of your bulletin, I had put, I just put six things that are really important for you to just ponder and meditate while we take communion. Ready for communion. But I want, I want you to look in your middle of your bulletin and I want you to just see this. Hope in God is a growing confidence and a delight that God in Christ is more satisfying to me than anything else. That he will not withhold any good that I need for my eternal joy. Some of you wives or mothers or men or women, young or old, sometimes you're like, is God really satisfying or am I missing something else? God will not, when we hope in God, we know that God will not withhold anything good from us. And when we hope in God, we're growing to have a satisfaction that He's my true security. Fears will come into our lives, wives, mothers, husbands, young men and old women. But God is our only true security to those who hope in God. And He promises to never leave or forsake us. And, and imagine this. God is so good that God will work out Everything out, who my husband is, and even who I'm, what feels like sometimes the husband I have now wasn't maybe the fulfilled dream. Oh, God's still working that for my good, and He'll work it for my good forevermore. That's the God I put my hope in. Who, hey, I'm gonna be treated wrong at times, but that God that I put my hope in will never fail me. He says that someday he's going to judge all wrong so I can forgive and I can show patience and I can let him take care of it. He's, he's going to judge in the end. And that God, that same God is always present. It, it, there's times where I'm like, God, where are you? God, I'm, God you're here and you always hear my prayers. Sometimes you say no, or sometimes it feels like you're silent, but you're always listening, and you will hear my cries, and you will answer in due times. That's what it looks like to hope in God. And lastly, to hope in God at least means, it means to know that God is invincible, God is all-powerful, and He's all-wise, and that this God His timing is perfect. You cry out for the salvation of your children. You cry out for the change in your husband. You cry out for the change of a son or a daughter in your life or a change of circumstance. This God, His timing is always right. And He calls you and I to wait upon Him. Who is this God that we hope in? It's the one that we hope in through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is the one that we hope in. And so we are going to take communion is an expression of hoping in God this morning. We're hoping in God by saying, God, we hope in you that is just as sure as your son came and died for us and you gave your son for us, you're not going to withhold anything good from us. If you did this, why would we think you'd hold anything good? And so as we take of this meal, we're going to remember he, Jesus, died for our sins. He, He was broken and bruised and bloodied that we might have life and he rose from the dead. And so I invite all of you who are true believers and have been baptized into Christ Jesus. We invite you to take of communion this morning. If, if if you're holding a grudge or you've sinned against somebody, make that right. Confess your sins to the Lord. We're going to we're going to actually do this we're going to go like we did last time and if you're not new, if you're new to this church, this is what we do. And if you're going to go out the side aisles and you'll come up here and take a piece of bread and take a, some juice, a cup. And you'll go back and I'm going to lead you in taking communion at the end. So you can wait for me and, then I'll, and I'll lead you in taking communion. I, let's make this a time in which we set our minds on our great God in which we hope in. I'm going to invite the ushers or the deacons if you'll come to help serve this meal with me. I'm going to pray and give thanks to God. The music is going to play, and and then we'll come and we'll take communion. Oh, Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us now as we take this meal. Help us to take it and hope in you. Help us to not hope like the world has a a hope that's full of doubts, but help, help us to hope in the fact that you're all satisfying and that you're our true security. that you're always good to us and that you're a faithful judge and that you're always present listening to us, that you're always wise, you're flawless in all your ways. Praise you for that. We thank you that in your great wisdom you sent your son. It was also great love because we surely needed it. Thank you for rescuing us and making us your children. In whose name I pray, amen.